Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. I remember starting this series and and talking about whenever we step out to do something notable for the Lord, there will be a resistance, there will be a Uh, a difficulty. There will be a challenge, and we might as well expect that. I I remember when the the first weather pattern set up for a week, and I said, here we go, (laughs) because Illinois kind of is on this this seven-day cycle, and whenever it starts, it just seems like it follows a pattern. So you can expect on the weekends, there will be a little rough weather. Why on the weekend? Well, Highway patrol is a little slower to come out and get the roads cleared because a lot of people are staying home snug in their beds, but not us. When I looked at the road from Gibson City to Roberts, it was a well-worn trail this morning. I was glad of that. The people of God have a different life, a different lifestyle, a different purpose, a different agenda. It isn't that we have a life that's completely different than other people, but we have a dual citizenship. We know that we live in the earth and we have a lot of responsibility if we want to do well. But we also embrace a higher kind of thinking that we're also in the kingdom of God. Now, as a Christian, you will always have choices to make, whether you want to operate more according to the rules of the kingdom of God or more according to the the rules of this earth. Now, Jesus himself said that we have to give unto the government what belongs to them and we're to live by the law of the land. So I'm not setting up for some kind of rebellion in this teaching, but Quite the contrary. The people of God are considered in the Scripture as the restraining force that God put in the earth to keep it from going crazy too fast. Well, I don't know that we've been restraining or constraining or doing enough because the world's getting kind of crazy kind of fast. But our role and our place is to, to know what God says is true and to live that way. I found when you you live the way that truly pleases the master, people generally like the outcome. Why you're you're gonna be you're going to be polarizing in some things, but you're also going to have the ability to forgive, to bring peace to a situation, to bring faith into a situation where there's otherwise no faith, to bring hope into a hopeless situation. Our role is to bring something that God has in the unseen into the scene realm. So we're not just in it for us. We're in it first for the master, second for others, and then for us. When we think that way, it's evidence that we are allowing Jesus to be our Lord and our King and not just our Savior. So the world is all about right now what they're calling global reset, and it makes me upset, nervous, aggravated, (laughs) because some of the things that are are being messed with don't really need to be reset, in my opinion, because it creates chaos. And when you create chaos, there's confusion and loss and every kind of trouble. But in the meantime, the people of God, as this COVID thing started, I remember the things the Holy Spirit was ministering to me in prayer. The people of God have to securely put their faith and trust in the master, in the king, and realize we're part of a kingdom. The kingdom of God has order that never changes. It has a predictability that we call faithfulness because God's a faithful God. It's unchangeable in that he never changes his mind. When we learn from the scriptures what his will is, it's it's absolute. So when we look to to say the, the word of God, the scripture is the highest authority in our life, it's because it's the words of the king. It's the the way we choose to live because it it honors him, and that's what puts us in his kingdom. You can be a born-again Christian and live mostly outside of the kingdom if you never submit to the Scriptures. When we receive, receive Jesus as Savior, we have received a free gift called salvation that will take us to heaven. Jesus made it free, and I'm thankful for that. But when we become a a little more interested in things, and we begin to make Jesus our Lord, it means now we are letting him tell us something about our life. 
We are allowing him to speak into our life. We're allowing him to change our mind about some things so that we become a part of his kingdom or his way of doing things. So many times people will hear scripture and decide, I don't believe that, or I don't want to be a part of that. Well, then they will not enjoy kingdom benefits where they don't want to submit to the words of the king. The kingdom of God for us is, is a, a kingdom of honor. As we honor the master, we participate in the kingdom. So many times when prayers seem to go unanswered, it might be, in fact, I have found it often to be, I need to learn something about my king that I don't know. I need to learn how to yield and submit to his authority. Now, that's just giving a little, little dusting over some of the things we're talking about because this would be a year and a season to reset your thinking. And if you reset your thinking, you'll find God will be faithful again and again and again. The atmosphere, the climate of the world is one of confusion and contention. The only way to have peace is to find it from Jesus, who is the King of Peace. And he himself said, I've not come that the world will have peace. Well, then who gets the peace? Those in the kingdom. You're going to find that it's harder and harder, more difficult all the time to be at rest in hearing all the news of the world. Our rest is in king and kingdom, knowing he's already settled our eternal future. And when we yield to him in this life, he will settle matters in this life and we will end up successful. Now, as I share that, there's always a battle and there's always a resistance because we are in a fallen world that will resist anything of God, and the Scripture calls that a spirit of Antichrist. It means there's something in this world that came in with sin in the Garden of Eden that is against the power of God working in our lives. We have to contend with that and deal with that. We deal with it first by knowing the truth, and the truth is God's Word that sets us free. But once we're set free in our thinking, we have to also be set free in our living and our lifestyle. And I want to talk about that today. I want to get to the point in this message where I give you some practical pictures into what it means to live in the kingdom and, and how, we, how we have our life and how we do things. So we're going to jump off in, in Matthew 6.33 again where Jesus is speaking and he's speaking to a mixed crowd He's speaking uh, somewhat critically to religious leaders who are, are, are there not understanding what Jesus is bringing in. He said, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of everything that the world has need of. So Jesus is directing this to, to believers who are believing on his name and are entering into the kingdom. But he also has, has a mixed crowd hearing him. And I'll say it this way, there are, are people in the midst believing on Jesus who have a dual citizenship and understand he's also talking about the kingdom of God. But he has some people listening that have no clue. They're religious, but they've not submitted to Jesus as the Son of God or the King of glory. So they're not seeing the second level. They're not seeing the unseen in what Jesus is talking about. When a preacher preaches, we have to do the same thing. We have to kind of lay aside our preconceived ideas and listen for what is God's Word saying to me that is something I'm not seeing with my eyes. Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. In other words, we look out into what looks like it's not going to be the case and we speak over chaos that I'm going to have peace. We speak over disorder, I'm going to have order. We speak over the seed that we plant in the ground, we're going to have a crop. We speak over the words that we're speaking out over our job that it's going to pay off, that there's going to be a benefit. When we're working our farm or our business, we are doing, we are, we are injecting energy and order into a world that otherwise is empty and chaotic. We're planting seed and nurturing it to harvest. The kingdom of God works like that in everything. So Jesus, when he's speaking to this, this crowd, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not teaching that we have only one pursuit. We don't only pursue kingdom things and speak words of faith, we live in this earth that puts a demand on us to produce something to make a living, and that's honorable. But God said when we don't put him before that, 
It's not honorable. Well, that's kind of a new way of thinking for a lot of people. Because a lot, a, lot of, a lot of us grew up hearing, well, we're going to do this and this and this and ask God to bless it. God says when we put him first, he'll bless the rest. So we teach that around here as a, a lifestyle principle because that's what the Bible tells us to do both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom is his way of doing things. His righteousness is his standard for my personal decisions. He wants me to have a personal standard that lines up with his desire, and he wants me to put his agenda before my agenda. That's why there's a Sabbath, and we call it the, the, the first of the month, the first of the week, the first of anything. The first is, is where we step back and rest from natural things and put a focus on spiritual things. Now, Jesus said if we do that, all these things, all the natural things will be added. So he's saying we should first focus on why are we here? What would he have us do? What's on his heart? What's his agenda in the earth? And seek him about that. That doesn't mean we always know every moment what we're to be doing for the master. But we're to be scratching and clawing to get to it. We have a, a cat that at her best moment, she's got a new toy. This morning at 3 a.m., I was making noise with a new toy just to see would she wake up out of her sleepy bed by the little heater and instantly one eye opened and the other eye opened. Then she came alive. Why? There was something about it she knew was for her. When we get in the presence of God and start seeking what will please Him, we'll find out some things about ourselves we didn't know. We'll find out how we can make a difference and feel better about what we're doing for other people. Now, Jesus was uh, introducing something that would be a theme through his ministry. He talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about anything else. He talked about money and finances second most of anything else. Well, those two things in the church are sometimes the least known about. So we're going to work to change that, make sure we're not illiterate when it comes to God's word. Because when we don't understand it, we're not going to be set free in those two things. So it's what life is about and how God takes care of his children. That was Jesus' biggest concern when he walked the earth. Now, we're going to talk about a, a lifestyle uh, of choices that we make and actions that we take that we can make sure we're putting him first, that we're seeking his kingdom first. It comes down to some really practical things that we can do, and we're going to talk about that today. I don't like church to be about a spiritual language. I like it to make sense. I like to be able to walk away and have places we can apply it to our life because Jesus said, don't only be a hearer of the Scripture, but be a doer. The proof of being in the kingdom is we start doing what we are hearing that pleases the King. That's what it amounts to. So we decide how much we're in, how much we're out. I know that there's, there's a common belief when you're born again, you're just in the kingdom of God. That's not true. I know born again people who don't know the first thing about how to please God with their life. So we're focusing on how to please Him. Now, we have to first break through the barriers of resistance. This is not going to come easy. When, when, I, when I hear somebody say, oh, you get born again, everything's going to be perfect, everything is easy, they lie to you. Because that doesn't happen till we're in heaven. And then I don't know that we would call it easy. It's just going to be incredibly different and incredibly good. I don't know that easy is the right word. But there's no such thing as living for Christ that is just automatically easy. We do get better as we go along. We do get a little more savvy as we go. We learn how our enemy will come against us. If there's anything the devil hates, it's people living in a way that pleases God. Because if we're living in a way that pleases God, we change the world around us. We change things. We're change agent for him. We're changing it to be the way he wants it to be. Our influence makes a difference in every situation. Now, this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 that are, are, are commonly considered faith verses. But this is about the battle and the fight of faith you're going to have when you decide, I'm going to believe what preachers say, and I'm going to apply it to my life. 
This is the battle you can expect because it will happen. And he tells us how to overcome in the battle. He tells us the the factors that are going to come when you want to live by faith and live in the kingdom of God. It means you're going to turn your natural life into a life that God can use more than he ever has. That you create space for him to express himself in you and then through you to others. That's what it means to allow Jesus to be Lord. It isn't a suppression or oppression. It's a series of choices that honor him that will also set us free. See, many times it's taught from a religious perspective that God is out to suppress and oppress. He has none of that in him. That's what he overcame. The devil is the one that does that. Jesus said so in John 10, where I started today by saying he has a more abundant or a life more abundantly for us to live now. This this says that we're to be surrounded first with a great cloud of witnesses. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's the people sitting around you right now. That's people of like-minded faith. I hear some people say, oh, that's a picture of heaven. Well, we're going to have a great cloud of witnesses there too. But this is your great cloud. You want to live in the kingdom of God, you hang around people who live in the kingdom. You learn what kingdom living is like by being around people who know more about it than you do. You want to learn how to pray? Hang around people who know how to pray. How do you know they know how to pray? They get answers. That's how you know. That's a proof that prayer is working because God honors it and he answers it. And you're going to find that when you hang around somebody who prays, it's not just that they pray right words. It's that they know how to honor the king. And when we honor the king, we have his attention. And when we honor the king his way, he can make delivery and break through the barriers of this resistant earth to bless his children because we're always going to deal with the resistance. So the first thing is you need people. You need God's people around you. You need somebody around you stronger than you that knows more than you that can tell you something about you. One of the things that's happened in the body of Christ is a change in accountability. Nobody wants to hear what needs to change. Well, that would be a huge mistake. If you're not around anybody that that is ahead of you in learning how to live for Jesus, you're going to spend your wheels a lot. It's good to have a model and find someone that knows. What what do you look for? You look for their success in God. What's he doing for them? What's he doing through them? What are they doing for others? It's a combination of things. But the first, be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Then let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. So the first thing we need is a crowd of believers around us. You know why? Because the weights and sin are more likely to be cast off when we're around people who are filled with faith. When I'm around somebody that lives for Jesus more than I do, it inspires me to want to. When I hang around people who live in darkness, it it makes me more like the dark. When I hang around people who walk in the light, it makes me get used to. First, I start adapting to the light. If Corbin and Kayla are the lightest beacons in here and I turn from from looking over here, we'll just say it's not quite as bright over here, okay? I mean, I've got to sort of, I've got to have a physicality about this. But I turn, you ever walk from a a, a dark room out into the bright sun? You just stand there a minute and then you start to focus and you blink your eyes and you maybe have to do, there's an adjustment. God gives us others to help us make the adjustment. Not so we would feel bad, so they're way ahead of me. Somebody's got to be. That's just, that, that's how we live. We, we learn discipleship by others who have a discipline. We learn that. So the great cloud of witnesses, and then we, we lay aside the weight. In, in Scripture, our life is related to a race that God put us in. And uh, whether you know it or not, when you're born again, you pulled the trigger on your starter gun. You did. As soon as you said, Jesus, become my Savior, I want to make you my Lord, the race is on. Yet a lot of times, uh, we're kind of like the horse that's never raced. Everybody else shoots out of the gate, and we're clunking against the gate and can't get it open. Many people live a Christian life that frustrated. The cloud of witnesses helps you get out of the gate. Do what the other horses do. Get up and go to church. Get up and read your Bible. Get up and and pray and get around somebody that knows how to do that. Get around the great cloud of witnesses that know something about that, and you instinctively learn how to do it better. If first time out of the gate came a little slow, we get better at that. Why? If a horse can be trained, a person certainly can. It's just, just, 
Just using that as an example, I like horses particularly. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. What does that mean? It traps us and slows us down. So we get better as we go. Then 30 said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You may not want to be in a race, but you're in a race. You know, if we're the, the horse that comes out of the gate and doesn't know he's in a race, he's just going to trot along unless he's prodded a little bit. Guess what today is about? You prod yourself. See, Pastor, Pastor, if Pastor does too much of that, y'all be like, what? You start beating that racehorse, he's going to eventually buck you off. So don't buck me off. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming after you that way. I'm just saying, you recognize God set you up like the racehorse. Don't be a plow horse. Get up and, and run a little bit. What inspires me to run? I, I watch horse races in movies. I don't go to the races and bet money or anything. There's none around here anyway, I don't think. But anyway, when, when you watch them, you see these two horses that are at the lead, and you can hear them pacing together, and they're, they're really breathing hard, and there's sweat pouring off of them, and the jockeys are jumping up and down. And the horses look to each other. There's this moment where they catch each other, and you see them both come a little bit more alive and their heart rate peaks a little bit more and they push themselves forward. If you've ever been in a piece of ministry that is done well, others in it will inspire you to want to give yourself more to it. We, we kind of look over and say we've got a little bit more in us than that. And that's how we need to think of the world right now and think of your two complete competing lives. One part of you is the horse for God, the kingdom horse. The other part is the kingdom that says, i got to make it in this world. Let the God horse just slightly outpace the other one is what the Scriptures say. Let seeking the kingdom be first and get one nose ahead in the race. Why? It changes everything. Now, he says, run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Why, you'll wear out and you won't want to run the race if you don't keep looking to him. The whip isn't going to do it. Pastor's preaching isn't going to do it. Your individual Bible study isn't going to do it. But looking to Jesus will do it. Why? The king will inspire all things for the kingdom. There's something about spending time talking to him and having a personal relationship that changes everything for us. Now, he's talking about what to do to succeed, and this is laying a groundwork for where I'm going to go in a minute in practical things. Why? This is the process God gave us to overcome the works of the enemy and see God's kingdom come to pass in our life. This is a process of transformation for anything about your life that you don't like. This is how you deal with it and fix it from God's realm, the unseen realm. Why? He's already given us everything to enjoy in heavenly places. Well, ain't going to do me much good in heavenly places till I'm there. So what do I do? I look for how do I get it from there to here because this is my place right now. And if I ask God to bless me where I am now, this can be kind of like a heavenly place. It'll have a little heavenly flavor about it. It'll be better than it would be any other way. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I've come to give you a life more abundantly. He wanted it to be better than we could have it any other way. He says, look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus put up with the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For number five, consider him that endured such contradiction, because you're going to have some contradiction too. We have to look to Jesus and think about, he put up with the cross because he loved me. I can put up with contradiction because I love him. Always the final leg of your race will involve putting up with a force that is against you. So many times people say, Pastor, pray for me that this happens in my life. And I think, are you ready for the journey that you are asking me to punch your ticket for? Because I'm happy to pray that way. I'm happy to pray that God come into our lives and bless us in a practical way because that's who he is. And that's what he did, and we need practical spirituality. We need practical power of God in our life here, not just a promise of later. And the more we walk in his power and authority while we're here, the better life will be from God's perspective particularly. We will, and we will know we're pleasing him. 
But there's a contradiction. What is the contradiction? The devil will try to make it look like it will never happen. And you'll think, why are all of these things making it look more impossible now than before I prayed? Because you have an enemy. He is out to stop you from receiving life more abundantly. So we have a, a, a picture here in three verses of what your life will look like if you want it to improve with God's help. He didn't say there wouldn't be an enemy. He didn't say that there wouldn't be a fight. He said there would be powers to contradict what you're trying to do by putting God first. So why, you know, uh, I, I talk about the weather pattern, but I also talk about the, the, you know, getting your clothes ready or getting anything ready. Bank again, prepare against the enemy's contradiction to get to church or you'll not be at church. And you say, well, the vehicle always breaks down on a Saturday. Well, start saying it doesn't. <laughs> then take it to the mechanic and have them give it a good once-over on a Friday so you can drive it on a Sunday. And if it is still, a, if you're just driving an old car and it's not any better yet, call a friend and have a backup plan. Why? We get more determined to put God first than we do the workplace on Monday. If we don't, we're not entering the gates of discipleship. We're only deceiving ourselves. See, there's certain things that are really simple if we think about it right. We think about, okay, God wants to be first. He didn't say that, that we couldn't have more pursuits. We should have a lot of talent, a lot of ability, a lot of discipline, a lot of things. We should dig our heels in and go for it in life anywhere we feel inspired to. But we should put him first. And as long as we put him first, he says, They've got my approval, and if we've got his approval, then he's approving of our moving forward in life. Well, that's a, that's a little snapshot. I want to go to a couple other places in Scripture and tell you what we're going to be praying about in the altar today. God gives us an opportunity to choose what matters to him. Many won't and don't. But that's what this life is. If you didn't know why we have this life, and we couldn't just all have been born in heaven... This life is our proving ground to decide what are our priorities going to be? Is somebody else going to be my Lord? Am I going to be my Lord? Or is Jesus going to be my Lord? As we live our life, we become more conscious of that. Uh, we're, we're to have a boss, spiritually speaking. We're not made to be that. We're not made to make all of our, our own decisions based on what we think. He made us to submit to his will. That's what went wrong in the, the, the garden with Adam and Eve. They didn't submit to God's will. So then they had toil and trouble and disorder and chaos and got kicked out of paradise. If we want to restore any paradise into our life, we embrace order. We embrace his way. And then there's a fight that we call a fight of faith. Now, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What's he saying? If we want the kingdom in our life, we're going to give some time and attention, some action to doing kingdom things. If you want to, want to be in God's governance first and him be final authority, then we give our life more to him. And I'll talk about practical ways in a minute. For he that sows to his flesh, that means temporary things, carnal things, earthly things. If all we do is take care of this body and this life, he says we're going to reap things that rust out and fail. He says you're going to reap corruption. Many think, oh, that just means you're going to be corrupted. No, all your things will be corrupted. And if you're not careful, that you might have a rust straitjacket on you that things that have to be taken care of, things that have to be renewed, things, things, things take all of your time and attention. See, if we're not careful, this world will captivate us rather than us being captives of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have a master, whether you know it or not. Scripture says there's two. We either have the Lord Jesus or give ourselves to God or the spirit of this world, uh, which is the devil's influence. Now, we live in a world where we have to work. We have to, to make it. We're responsible. We teach responsibility and stewardship here. But we have to recognize when we put him first, it changes who's governing us and who has final say. 
And God then can move supernaturally to make things be not as though they were when we start saying out of our mouth. I'll give some examples again in a minute. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So we can sow, we can give all of our time and attention to this volatile world, or we can give some time and attention to God's agenda. And what he's telling us is to, to put him first. Now, when we begin to put him first, it changes the motion of our life into some, something procreative, promotion. Pro, or God's out there before. Why we've put him first? Think of it this way. When you put him first, he's before you in all of your endeavors going before you. When he went before the children of Israel during the Exodus, he was a pillar of fire and he was a, a cloud to shade them and he went before them to lead and guide them where they ought to go. When we honor him and put him first, he does that for us still today. Because this world at best is meant to be an exodus that we walk through before we get to heaven. And you're going to see in the body of Christ that being played out more and more and more because the greatest exodus of all times was not Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. It will be God's children out of this world and into heaven. So we, we can look and understand that's the kind of thing that's happening right now. And he wants to lead us by being first. Think of it, when he's not first, we're not following after him. We're following after whatever is first. It's a concept. So I, this is where I wanted to get to today because this is what I believe the Lord wants to do for his people. We, we can train ourselves to see the unseen. We can train ourselves to see life more the way God does. Understand, he's in heaven for us here. It's an unseen realm unless somehow God would let us see a glimpse into it. But he says that we're supposed to, to speak things that are not as though they were. We're supposed to look into our unseen, knowing the promise of God, and say it doesn't look like. We can think it doesn't look like God's doing this, but Scripture says he's doing this for me because I put him first. So I'm going to say out of my mouth, I, I am healthy, I am healed, I am whole. I am walking in a divine kind of life. And to defy the odds, we speak it when we may not be feeling it. We do a lot of things we're not feeling, if you think about it. You want to make a change with your physical body, you have to do some things that you don't really want to do. You want to, you know, I've been, been through a phase of losing 130 pounds in my life. It was a lot of little decisions, but what was it? A lot of things I didn't want to do. Or I would have done them before, and I would have never gotten to where I had to do them that bad. What changed it? My thinking had to change. Then my actions had to change, and I had to get used to thinking like a fit person thinks. Then I had to deal with the inequity of not being there yet and wanting to be there, and the great pain in the gulf and aggravation as I walked through the process. And almost every living person can relate to something like that physically. The way we get to where we want to go is we embrace the unknown of something that we have put off and not done. Your future and God's just like that. He says we can have whatsoever we say. Well, we have to say it and be convinced and say it again and again. That's a kingdom principle so that we believe it and then we're motivated the right way. Now, that's not where I want to go in practical examples so much. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, we're living in a time of light affliction. In other words, compared to Jesus, we shouldn't really be complaining. But we have some light affliction or a little bit of trouble, which is but for a moment. Why? Trouble won't last in the life of a believer if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? That's why he says it's light and it won't last. This works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What does that mean? It moves us towards thinking about life in an eternal concept. That we're going to live forever and this life is just a little moment and the troubles in it aren't going to last long. And he says, here's how we deal with it. While we look not at the things which are seen, we look at the things that are not seen. So here's the Bible telling us, the Apostle Paul writing to a church to tell the church, learn to see what you don't see. 
If we want to live in the kingdom of God, we must have that skill. Scripture calls that seeing through the eye of faith. Hearing what God says and choosing to believe it, even when what we are seeing with our physical eyes does not match up with what God promised. Why? There is an enemy of God trying to stop you from seeing it so he can stop you from ever having it. There is an enemy of God trying to keep you from hearing God's word so your mind won't be renewed to believe that you can have it too. And and the devil then tries to convince you there's nobody else like you. I used to think I was the only one that couldn't understand stuff from the Bible and couldn't figure things out and didn't get prayers answered. And I thought, I am defective. And all that time knowing God's telling me to preach, I can't preach, I'm a defect. Why would he have me do that? I didn't have enough information to change my thinking. And as I changed my thinking, I had to change my believing. I couldn't do that with what, what little I had in my head. I had to get some new information that God said and what he said and believe that it was true. Now, this is a process. He said, while we are looking not at the things that are seen, we look at the unseen. In other words, you've got to start not focusing on all the negative. Focus on Jesus who has the answer. Focus on recognizing I'm running a race and this is not a sprint. This is a long-term run. I may slow down a little bit and then I pick it back up again. But understand, it's not a race against other believers. It's not a race against the world. It's a race against you doing the will of God. You, a race of you and you. Two yous. The you that has pulled the way of the world that says, I I just, I don't have time for God. I don't know if I even believe some of that stuff. I don't know if, and and the the doubt and unbelief that comes in. Or don't you understand, Pastor, my world is not as, as, as cushy as yours. I wouldn't call it cushy. But there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of that, that passage back in Hebrews of fighting, 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 fight. And it gets better. And we get more determined. And we are not tricked as often. We're not talked out of it as much. Now, we look not at the things which are seen, but we look at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're rusting away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So we can, if we want to, learn to see things God's way. How unfair would it be if God created his children without his ability to be spiritual? He's a spirit. It would be like us choosing to have children but depriving them of natural senses, saying, now, go make a living. You've got everything everybody else does. And they're saying, but I don't, I can't see, I can't hear. God would not do that to any of his children. Spiritually, he gives us the same ability, the same faith, the same capacity to believe him and trust him as anyone else. It's a matter of us choosing to submit to believe what he says is true. It's not being self-governing. It's being God-governed. I will let the king tell me about me because he made a decree over me. Understand when Jesus rose from the dead, he made a decree of victory over your life, and you are included. It's a matter of believing that decree and then turning to anybody that challenges it, saying, no, the king says this about me. I've had a lot of conversations with, with myself. The king says this about me. I choose to believe that instead of what I see about me. And then my track record, my race pace begins to change. My ability to think I can make the finish line begins to change. And I keep working toward it. One thing I've learned is you never give up. You never give up. You never give up. As long as you don't give up, you're still in the race. But when you give up, you're sidelined. And guess what? You will pick up where you left off. Wouldn't it be nice if there was you'd step off and get on the, I love the airports that you get on the little belt and zoom, they zoom you. I'm not one that stands there like this. I'm like, trucking down through there, going like triple pace down through that airport. Why? I love that. Why? It takes away some of the, some of the fight. Did you know God does that when we line up with him? It's, it's, he puts a lift in our life that wasn't there before and a perspective that's better. 
Now, I want to get to practical things because we're going to open up the altar in a minute for prayer because there's a, there's a deeper kind of life. There is a, a kind of life God wants us to, to receive from him that's readily available to every person called the more abundant kind of life. If I was going to pick another theme for this year, it would be you want to be thinking about that. You want to ask God, what does that look like for me and my family? What does it look like to be to have God's favor on my life and know that he is going before me in everything? He, he was a fire before them at night so they could see where they were going in the dark. He was a pillar of cloud by day so that they wouldn't be scorched by the sun. He rained manna from heaven. I, I think we want to know God like that. I think we want to be putting him before us so we can experience him like that. But here's, here's some natural examples. In, in, in our regular life, we have relationships. And many people see relationships as a way to gain advantage. So we choose relationships based on who fits my life, who will enrich my life, and that's not all wrong, but it's not what we're to do first. But that's the natural way of thinking is, who do I want to associate that is like me so I can feel good about me? Who do I want to associate with that has a similar interest so that we have something to talk about? Who can I associate with that might help me get ahead in my life? Who can I associate with that I want to spend time with? That's temporal. Then there's something eternal about relationships where God says, be in a relationship so you can serve someone. Be in a relationship so that you can project and provide Christ Jesus' love for someone. Be in a relationship where someone will model after you and you need to take the time to invest in them instead of them invest in you. Now that sounds really uh, backward. They sound like Completely opposing things, yet both of them together make us one new man, one new woman in Christ. We want people like we talked about at the beginning, but that doesn't come first. If we want to have relationships God's way, we first look to who can I serve to represent my master? Not to serve just to be doing something, but what would God have me do to better the life of another person? It's mostly not spiritual to begin with. It's mostly just making a difference. You hear somebody's car didn't make it and they couldn't come to church? Work out a backup plan with it. That's serving somebody. And what will happen if you have to serve three or four times being the ride? You're going to pray in their vehicle get fixed. Right? Why wouldn't we want to use our faith that way? to serve someone else. But if you're going to use your faith to serve someone else, you first use your life to serve someone else. So in the body of Christ, relationships are first about what can I make a difference for in God's kingdom with people, starting with his people and looking to the outside to grow his family. What can I do in the body of Christ to find my fit so that I'm a part of the body and not just uh, think of it this way, not just cells waiting for the food to be shoveled down to me through the body. Some people never become a vital part because they're just a cell. All they do is receive, receive, receive. Well, what is that? That's the world's model for doing things. What's in it for me? When Jesus wants to say, what's in it for him? Putting it first, what's in it for him? And here's what he says. If we look at what's in it for him first, all of these things will come together for us. You hearing me? See, he says it's a matter of priority and honoring him and putting him first in relationships, and they begin to line. Who should be the greatest authority in our life? Who should be our superhero? Who should be the one we look to first? should be the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do that, he can bless the rest. Second thing I want to talk about is physical, physical discipline or medical help. You know, a lot of times people say, Pastor, pray for me that I be healed, but they've not carried out any physical discipline that makes any sense. Now, God's a merciful God, but he's not stupid. Well, he put us in a world that's a physical world, so what do I do? I can't just spiritually pray all the time and think my body's going to be well all the time. My body needs food, it needs exercise, it wants to run like a machine. 
It's a matter of, uh, I, I remember one time somebody trying to help me fill up my, my diesel Oldsmobile on the road in 1982 with gasoline. You don't want to put the wrong fuel in a vehicle. It gets all messed up. Yet our body is like a machine, and if we don't follow physical discipline, we will need more medical help. Does that make medical help wrong? It does not. We want to get all the help that we can get, but if we put God first, see, there's a way of thinking in this world, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If it's not broke, it will be, because we're in a world that's rusting away. So what do we do? We counter with natural things. We have a natural life of responsibility. We don't dismiss that. We should be educated. We should do the right thing and make right decisions, but sometimes we do not. So what do we need? We go for medical help. When we go for medical help, I hear people say, oh, I just want to hear the good report. Well, that's not why you're going to the doctor. You're going to the doctor to find out if anything's wrong. The good report comes from what the Scripture says. The good report displaces the doctor's report if you believe God. Why? Because Jesus is our healer. Physical discipline. On the, on the spiritual side, if we look to the Scripture, did you know Jesus commanded fasting of his disciples? I've learned it's powerful. I've learned it's better than a diet. Why, there's a different kind of benefit. Not to say I don't like the benefit of, of, of slimming down while I'm fasting. What's fasting for? It honors the Lord. It says, this body doesn't rule me. See, we, we've got to learn to not be ruled by the flesh and then expect supernatural results. If we sow only to the flesh... If all I do is eat McDonald's for a year, I will gain 130 pounds back. Why? It won't take much, especially at this age, for, for everything to change fast. Then it would probably take me at least three years to get it back off if I've never ate McDonald's for three years. So I've not eaten a French fry in over 10 years. Why? I cannot have that. My, my, my body processes it to right here. So anyway. Why do I use that? Because it's the most common great example that everybody relates to. We fight a fight to get our body right. People want a spiritual benefit without sowing to the Spirit. If you want Jesus to be your healer, you'll be responsible naturally, but His mercy can override and He can deliver you. He, he changed my desire of what I wanted to eat. Why? I kept eating things like kale and broccoli and celery Say, mmm, this is good. Picking it out of my teeth and thinking it was just wonderful, wonderful that my taste were to eat. You laugh, but there's a natural discipline. And then God looks at us, so what? There's natural results and there's spiritual results. I stand in front of the mirror after my doctor said, you don't have very long to live if you don't change your ways. And I looked in the mirror and said, you are changing your ways and you will have long life and you will have the more abundant life Jesus has promised you. No matter what it looks like in the mirror right now, I'm talking you down and you are going down to 195 pounds. And it happened, but it took a while. Now, why do I use that? Because it's the least threatening example I can use that you've, you've seen happen if you've been here any length of time. Now, I can choose at any time to let go of the natural discipline and let go of spiritual discipline, and I will have back problems. I will be limping again. I will have all kinds of issues. And if I do that and then want the good report when I go to the doctor, who am I fooling? I'm going to get the doctor's report who's looking at the physical circumstance. If I want God's report, I look at the Scripture. It says God has mercy on stupid people like me. And Jesus is my healer even if I have abused my body. So Jesus, I, why? that's how we do it. Then we start challenging ourselves and saying, there's a resistance. Resistance, if your blood sugar's been really high, your blood sugar's going to want to stay really high, and your body's going to say, feed me sugar, feed me sugar, feed me sugar. And you're going to have to say, shut up, you don't get any today. And you're going to have to say that 150 days in a row. Then your body won't crave it anymore. That's about how many days it takes. Now, I want to talk about financial things. We live in a world that we work. Most everybody I know works to produce something, works to do something that, that matters, that counts. And, you know, right now, I think uh, governing authorities are trying to decide what's essential and what's not. I, I'd watch out for that. Say, God, what's essential? Ask God what's essential. There's a financial discipline, but there's financial performance. You can earn all the money in the world, have nothing left if you don't curb in spending habits. That's natural stewardship. 
in this world, we're, we're, we're trained, get as much as you can, as fast as you can, save as much as you can, so you have something when you die to pass on to your children. It's a world model, and they call it the American dream. I think it's kind of been twisted and perverted over time. If all you do is live and work and eat, live and work and eat, and then leave something to your children, that's not a more abundant life. God has something more than that. So what is there? Jesus said there's kingdom responsibility. That's the other side of it. When we choose a kingdom responsibility within our job, say, God, you have a mission for me while I'm here, and I want to know what that is, and we put that first. That doesn't mean you don't do your job well. It means you do your job better than anybody they've ever hired before. Why? If you're going to claim Christ Jesus as your Lord, you're going to outshine. You're going, going to outdo. You're going to have a discipline and an ability that others don't have. You're not going to be a slacker or a sloucher. You're going to be the most faithful, the most determined, the earliest to get there, the latest to stay, the one that you say, Pastor, how would I do that? You ask the Lord to help you be efficient. I'll give some examples. I'll give another example a little bit. But there's the natural side of responsibility. Then there's the God side of he has something for us to do while we're at work. He has something for us to do that is to be a part of it. If you can't find that where you are, ask him for another job. If you can't be an expression of the kingdom of God where you work, ask him to give you another job where you can. Why? How are you going to put him first at work otherwise? Oh, but with my tithe. No, that's, that's just, that's finances. That isn't the workplace. See, in the workplace, we're to be influential for God. We're to be a, a walking, talking demonstration of his goodness and his love and his standard for living. How we live, honoring, honoring family, honoring God's people. So there's a kingdom responsibility. I'm zipping through these kind of fast because we're going to have an altar to reset things that you want to have reset. And this is a faith reset, not a global reset. This is, I want to change the way I'm living to please the master more so that a security comes over my family in, in the, right in the face of conflict in the world growing greater than ever before. Now, third is behavior, or fourth is behavior. Scripture teaches behavioral restraint. In the world, we have some behavioral restraint. We know what to do that's appropriate. You go to the theater to watch a movie, and you're loud, and people are intensely wanting to listen to the movie. Somebody will finally come up to you and grab you by the collar and say, dude, quiet down, or get control, you know, <laughs> be quiet. Well, there's behavior, there's behavioral models in the world that are one set of standards, and they're ever-changing, and it's more and more anything goes. So if you're an employer in a, a standard that anything goes, more and more you get people in there that want anything to go, and you can't have a go when anything goes. Why, there'll be nothing left at the end of the day if everybody does their own thing. But the world's model is careening in that direction because everybody has the right to have everything and do everything however they please. Well, God's model is different than that. He wants us to live with an anointing. What does that mean? It's not so as much a set of rules as it is God's going to give us his power and ability, what he calls authority, to live his way. That's what he's after. Then there's, there's two kinds of prayer. If we're living mostly in this world, our prayers are going to be about reacting to things we don't like or praying to change something we don't want. A reacting prayer where we're reacting all the time to things that we don't like. If we're sowing to the Spirit, if we are living in the kingdom even a little bit, our prayers change to proactive praying. Instead of praying for healing when we're sick, we're thanking Him when we're well. We're thanking Him for working in us the ability to, to walk in natural discipline and spiritual truth. What's a spiritual truth? Fast once in a while. Even the doctors are saying a fasted life is the healthiest lifestyle a person can live. Fasting with moderate exercise. Well, most people I know that want results work really hard at the exercise and then eat the french fries. I learned something. I exercise better when I'm off the french fries. Why? Some things are not meant to go together. So when we yield to the kingdom of God the way we're supposed to, he resets our desires. He resets our values. He messes. I'm going to tell you what to be ready for. He will mess with the way you think about stuff. And you have to think, am I ready for this? You should be asking that question. What The world is careening down a path that you will end up on if you don't make 
the reset changes for the kingdom. See, everybody wants Christianity, especially in America, thinks we all get the same results because it's the same God that loves us. No, he put the results in our hands, what we're going to have. I want to talk about one other thing by means of an example in the workplace. Years ago, and I'm going to be brief, years ago I started with a company at $5 an hour in training. I knew that we we were working to reset our, our life and lifestyle. We were living in North Carolina. Things were different than we expected when we moved there. People had not kept their word. Things had not worked out the way we thought. So we were just having to reset. Have you ever been there where just circumstances made you have to make some changes? Just because it was not the way you thought and you can get really caught up in being mad at everybody or you can say, God, I know you said move here and we're here. And it's the greatest recession they'd ever seen in Western North Carolina. We were Central North Carolina. All the mills, all the factories, everybody leaving. And, you know, I was a farm kid and trained to be a preacher. What in the world are you going to do when there's no jobs? So I started working for a company cleaning. I've talked about this before. But I learned that there, 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 were, there were things to do in the natural. I kept choosing, I will be the most responsible person in the workplace. I will be the first there. I will be the last to leave. I will always ask the boss, is there anything else that you need me to do? Is there anything that you would like me to do? I will reinvent the way we do things if I have to, to do a better job than other people are doing. Why? I, I wanted there to be more than $5 an hour. So I started working as though I was making $15 an hour. I'm going to tell you something about this world. This world will recognize that. But then there's a higher power than that called the God that we serve. Say, so God, I want to do these things and succeed to provide for my family, but I also want to honor you. So in the workplace, we had literacy classes. We used the Bible to teach people how to read. We taught people how to write their name. We had a battered women's ministry because about six out of every 10 people that I hired were battered women. So we worked to minister and restore them and get child care for them and help them because that is Jesus' way. We didn't have to do that. I didn't have to do that in the workplace. It was not what a manager would do when I became a manager, but I saw a need and I saw opportunity and Jesus is always the person in between. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher puts me in the middle with him. If he's the author and finisher of my faith in my workplace, he's going to give me something that will honor the kingdom while I'm also doing the best job of anybody that they've ever had before because I determined I'm going to represent Jesus that way and I'm going to let God move in my life to bless my family. Everybody wants, hopefully, something like that to happen. But then you look for what, what is the human need and, and, and the human need that God can honor. My boss was not a Christian. He was a Jehovah's Witness. When I told him I was using the Bible, I first said, now I have a literacy program and we're using books on hand here to teach. Why? I was responsible. We were putting the Gideon Bibles out in the condominiums. So I had stacks and stacks of them. I had no other book. So when I, he said, what are you using to teach them? I said, the Gideon Bible. He said, how interesting. He never challenged it. I expect him to want to shut me down. He didn't shut me down. Why? I had already gotten him to agree that the Bible was God's written word and standard for living. So he had to honor it. So what do we do? We, we saw people born again come in asking for prayer in the workplace. It was discovered I was a preacher, not trying to be a preacher. I was trying to be a businessman. But I was a businessman that they called the preach. Why? Because it just came out. Why? I wanted to honor God in the workplace. So, Pastor, that's you. That's because you have a pastor's heart. No, it was not. It was because it was part of the deal with God. I want you to understand lordship. It's, it's part of the deal. We don't have to do it. We don't have to take him up on those parts. But as, as time went on, pretty soon I was vice president of operations in that company. I don't say that because, oh, that's some great thing. There was a working over here and there was faith working over here. There was both. And I had to manage the two. And I finally left because I was not able to honor God the way I wanted to. And work had to be the God. In a corporate setting, pretty soon, you're required to live and die for and almost worship the company. Well, I couldn't do that anymore. Be prepared that your natural life may come in conflict somewhere, and you'll have to step back and say, God, reset my life. If we can't come into fellowship because of work, if we can't come into fellowship because of lifestyle or sickness or something, we need to reset. 
We need to reset life instead of thinking God's going to keep accommodating me. See, what we see happening in the nation is the nation has come to a place that it's in great trouble. Everybody expects the nation to accommodate them about everything and everybody get their way on everything and nothing works like that. We're in a limited world. What God is saying is we'll trust him and let him reset our priorities. He will take care of his own faithfully because he's a faithful God. So today, that's what today's altar time is about. I'm going to cut myself off because I'm, I'm out of time. I'm going to stop talking about this because I believe when we come to church, there's always something God wants to do for his people. Today, I believe he wants to, to, to come into agreement as we pray for whatever kind of reset that you're wanting God to make in your life. And my advice to you will be this. Once we've prayed, find somebody that knows more than you do about where you want to go. If you want to succeed more at work, find somebody who has done that with God's help, not somebody that's done that according to the world. So if we set our success after the way the world gets it, we'll get the same results. We'll get temporal success, but eternally we'll die. We don't get to have it out of order. Today's about resetting for our life to come into divine order. That's the beginning of discipleship. Say, this is not about me, this is about my king. This is not about me. This is about his discipline over me. Many people don't like that, that idea of having to carry a discipline, yet the most admired people on the planet are people of discipline. Why? Because they get results because of a series of decisions they make. Whether it's something we would want as a believer or not, they get there because they make a series of decisions and actions and disciplines to get there. So today's not a quick fix. It's an offering of coming into agreement with God to reset something that's on your heart to change, to reset, to, to build a more secure future for families. I, I'm believing God that we, in this season of tumult and trouble, that the reset we experience is, is one of a greater security in the kingdom of God. It's one with a greater certainty of a, a future. Jeremiah 33 says that he has plans for us that are for the good. We want that plan. Well, I'm going to pray, and you stay seated where you are in a minute. I'll, I'll dismiss you, and we'll open the altar. For anybody that, that wants to come along these lines, and this, uh, uh, this will be a little bit different how we do it in the altar. I'm not just sure what it looks like yet. But this is the reason we had church at Living Word today for us to have an opportunity to choose by faith to reset and not let the world redefine us. See, when the phrase new normal came, I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think I want the new normal that the world is careening toward, but I'll take God's new any day. I'll take his reset any day. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for peaking interest in this house. By speaking your words, Father, that we could hear them and determine I'm going to mix faith with that or I choose not to believe that. Father, for those that mixed faith with the words today, I ask that there be a stirring right now by your Holy Spirit of what it is needs to be reset and changed. Father, you want us to live a more abundant life and that puts the devil at bay. Father, I thank you that we have the victory in this house because we choose to believe in what Jesus did on the cross. He did for us. And Father, as we're born again, we come into a family with rights and privileges and we come into a kingdom with rules and order that when we line up with, we get the blessing and we walk in peace and blessing even when there's chaos around us. And Father, I speak over every household and every family that chaos and confusion go and that the peace of God come in and open our eyes to see the unseen. Open our ears to hear your word in ways we've never heard it before that we shift and we change and we experience an alignment with your kingdom that brings faith forward and stirs our hearts for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, don't race out. Miss Claire baked some goodies in the coffee shop. If you didn't get them, they're going to run out. Go get you some. Have some coffee. Talk to people. While we're, we're in a season where we're, we're returning to things God's asked us to do. 
One of them is fellowship in this house. This is a family when we come together. and When a family's together, you don't just hear something good. You also share in the challenges. You're the great cloud of witnesses. Ever notice a, a cloud has different kind of definition? Some are serious and they're just this thin, little pasty little thing. There's not going to be any rain come up out of that. See, when we come together the way God wants, it's, it's the alto cumulus cloud, the thunderhead, the anvil top. Or you see lightning all up in there and it's a hot July day and you're out working and you see that come in your direction, you know that's bringing something good that I want and it's going to force me to step back and take a break and enjoy this. And if you're farming, you say, thank God, there's, there's 20 more bushel an acre coming right now because it's July. We rejoice at the things God has. Understand what fellowship does is it builds something that creates a refreshing for people, not just in the body of Christ, but in the earth. And you're a part of that great cloud. God bless you as you go today. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of his word.